For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Well, I do have, uh, I listed for myself here, I have three comments today. I was so, uh, so proud of myself. I got three comments, and then I was just talking with Dan, who is not only my best producer, he's a good friend. I read one to him, he says, oh, you read that already. So, <laughs> so I think I have, uh, I'm really not trying to push it, but... Uh, I, I am. Uh, I was going to read one that I had already read before. <laughs> so, but but here's another one. This is from a good good friend of mine and a good uh, uh, listener. Her name is Karen. Karen's from Pennsylvania, and she says, "Was there a show in between December 13th and today about King John?" And she's writing to uh, to uh, Mr. Dwight Falk. She says, "Mr. Lee was talking about one." How can I find out? Thanks. And then I uh, really appreciate that, Karen. She did write me back again and said, I really enjoy listening to you. And, uh, and that's really nice as well. But for any of you out there, if, if you, um, if you miss an episode, all you have to do is go to the trumpet.com and, and push the button, listen, and it'll take you. You can listen. You can see all the shows that came out. And so it would be easy for you to, to find them just by staying there. And uh, one thing I also want to announce is we uh, the uh, the radio programs are no longer going to be featured on SoundCloud. And so, but you don't have to worry about that when you hear that. Uh, it's going to be just as as good. In other words, you can listen to it on KPCG.fm. So. Uh, the only thing that I'm disappointed about that is I get a lot of people from SoundCloud giving me hoorahs and all that. So, so anyway, 
uh, I, I'll live with it. And so, but, but again, you don't have to worry about missing an episode. And if you do miss an episode and you can't find it, go ahead and, and email us here and we'll make sure that we get the right program to you. So on our last program, I began discussing Act 2, Scene 1 of Shakespeare's play, The Life and Death of King John. Now remember, that is the full title of the play, and uh, a lot of people just call it The Death of King John, and, um, but it really is The Life and Death of King John. Now, just by way of reminder, and, and uh, in some ways, you have to see that this really is an unusual play, and it's a little difficult to read. And even uh, Andre, uh, he gave us a couple comments uh, not, not too long ago, and he was saying that it's it. Uh, he feels like it's easier to understand if I read it, and uh, I think that does help. But um, just by way of reminder from today is, is take note: this is an unusual scene. This Act Two, Scene One, and. Uh, I'm going to continue with that today, Act 2, Scene 1. But it is an unusual scene, and this is where King Philip of France and King John of England, along with all their extended family members and guests, <laughs> get, into the, get into the fray. And, so, so, and remember from last time that they're standing outside the gates of Angiers, and uh, they want... They want the people of Angiers to essentially decide who should be king. And that just never is going to work. <laughs> never going to work. So, so anyway, just, just again for a reminder, uh, I, I think in some ways you could say it's an unusual scene, but you can also say it's a, a funny scene because, uh, uh, King Philip is there and he's, he's got his own program. Uh, but he's King Philip of France. And I did check up, by the way, today, just kind of dawned on me that the, you know, the French and the English really are, they're intermarried. And so I'm just wondering, are King Philip and, and uh, King John uh, um, actually uh, relatives? And uh, the answer I found was different. I'm going to tell you what that is, but I'm not going to tell you right now. I want you to, yeah, uh, my producer is trying to get me to, uh, to make it kind of interesting for you so that I don't tell everything at once. And I know I just did a JBL and I ended on an exciting scene and didn't finish it. So <laughs> anyway, but here, here's all the extended families there. So you've got King Philip is there and he has his son, Louis, who is the Dauphin. And all that means in French is he's the, he's the next in line. And then you have King John of England and he's there, and he's got his extended family members and guests. So his mom, Eleanor of Aquitaine, is there. And then Constance is uh, is there. Constance is Arthur's mother, so she's in the scene. Then Sir Richard is also in the scene. And uh, uh, remember, we're going to be nice to Sir Richard now. We're not going to call him that the B word, even though he is. But he is Richard the Lionheart's illegitimate son. So he's there. King Philip's son, Louis, or the Dauphin, is there. And then Limoges, the Duke of Austria, is also there. And so, so uh, essentially what's going on is King John and King Philip and their, all their acquaintances are um, they're standing outside the gates of, of Angiers and 
they they are attempting to persuade the people of Angiers to accept their personal vote on who should be king of Angiers. So that's what they're trying to do. King Philip is saying, hey, Arthur has got to be king. And then, of course, Eleanor of Aquitaine is saying, no, no, this is our ancestral lines and lands, excuse me, and King John is king. And so, so you know, it, it's kind of a, a weird scene, but it's a funny scene at the same time. Now, uh, we've already gone through it, but I think it's a good, it's a good uh, kind of reminder. King John, who is king of England, believes that he should be king because Angiers is his ancestral home, and also because he currently wears England's crown. So, so Angiers is still. Uh, uh, let's say property of England, and he's naturally he's the king. And of course, he requests the citizens to open the gates and let him come into the city, and they refuse. No, you're not coming in. So, King Philip, you can, I mean, just just kind of let your imaginations go with you. You can see this Frenchy, <laughs> this French guy, probably had gold everywhere, probably had a white horse. Anyway, King Philip, he steps up to the gates. And what I found out about King Philip and King John is King Philip's best friend was Arthur's dad, Joffrey. That's historic. So, so uh, uh, King Philip might also, he's not only uh, working for Arthur, he's probably working for his dead friend, Joffrey, here at the same time. So anyway, King Philip steps up. To the gates states that King John's nephew, Arthur, who is the son of his deceased oldest brother, Joffrey, remember that now, Joffrey is King John's brother, he's dead, and he says that because of Joffrey, he should be king of England and Angiers. And then King Philip then requests the citizens to open the gates to Arthur, their lawful king, and again, they refuse. And so, so what is going on with the, with the citizens of Angiers? And so, so here, John and Philip, uh, right outside the gate, they have this other short spat in front of the gates. And John essentially says to, to Philip, hey, who gave you the right to meddle into my business? And Philip says, it was God that gave him the right. He has the right to choose. And so then, uh, again, I read this, but we don't have time to read the whole thing today. But... Uh, if if you want to, I think it'd be good for you to go back and reread pages sixteen to twenty four, and then you get the whole picture again. It's it's a it, it's been there's been some time that has passed since our last program, so I think that will he- help you. But uh, Philip says that God gave him the right. Well, hearing this, the two mothers, Eleanor and Constance, they come unglued, and all bedlam breaks out, and. Uh, uh, I don't have time to necessarily review that whole scene, but it is to your advantage, I think, to reread pages 16 to 24. And then also, you can just get online and replay the previous podcast. You just have to go back to KPCG, and you can you can re-listen to it. So so today, what I want to do is I want to continue discussing Act Two uh, and the same scene, but I want to begin on page 25. And uh, again, what we're going to do is we're probably going to do just a, just a little bit of a review again. And then I think this will help you, and, you know, as we go through this. 
But but one thing I want to emphasize from page 25, and let's, let's go to the very top of the page, is the big problem here and when with the play, and not, it's not worth the play, but I think one of the big problems that Shakespeare was really trying to go after here, and it's a big problem in the United States today as well. And uh, what, what is really, really very interesting uh, is, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story in a, in a bit, but the big problem was going on here. It's King Philip and John, and in some ways as well, that their big problem is they wanted the citizens of Angiers to decide who should be king. That's the worst thing they could do. You know, it's it's a it's a monarchy, and again, I think one of the things that we have to admit that that if Shakespeare is getting his history right, the government was not set up as much as it was with the later Plantagenets, and. Uh, you know, they didn't have the actual laws specifically written down that a son would replace a father that died. And so, so this is, this is part of it. And the, the, the scene here, I think, is pretty interesting because it does show that, that the citizens now come out and they, they really do have, uh, at this point, more power than the king does. And so, so, uh, you know, that's, that's not a good thing for any country. So the very, very first line there that, that, uh, um, let's say with the, with the, the, the citizen there, it, it's a, the character is citizen. They don't have a name for him. But then Hubert comes in a little bit later. But the citizen said, who is that that hath warned us to the walls? So, so in other words, it, it's like this has been, maybe it's like, uh, uh, you know, Saturday, <laughs> you know, everybody's out shopping and then there's been this, this bedlam outside their wall. And uh, the citizen said, who is it that hath warned us to the walls? And then King Philip says, tis France for England. And then King John says, England for itself, you men of Angiers and my loving subjects. So, so here the, the two Kings are beginning to, oh, they're going to, they're going to really lay out the uh you know just smooth these guys just pat them on the back and uh so that they, they uh they're really getting this started and and i think they're they uh the way if it's if the play is really done well they're going to be shocked about what the the citizens of angiers say then King Philip comes out and says, You loving men of Angiers, Arthur's subjects, our trumpet called you to this gentle parley. So, so it, it was bedlam. It wasn't gentle parley until they got, until the subjects got there, then they kind of shut up and quit. And then King John says, For our advantage, therefore, hear us first. These flags of France that are advanced here before the eyes and prospect of your town have hither marched to your endamagement. And so, so King John is telling them, hey, you know, King Philip is trying to smooth you over. He intends to really hurt you people. And it, what he's brought here, what, what, what maybe not as really prevalent, let's say in the, in the play is, King John has him, his army with him, and King Philip has an army with him. They've got cannons. They've got all the weapons of war 
right there with them. And, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're in trouble. The, the citizens are in trouble. And then King John says, For our advantage, therefore, here is first. These flags of France, which were advanced here before the eye and prospect of your town, have hither marched to your endamagement. The cannons have their bowels full of wrath. And uh, th- th- there's talking about a cannon. They're already loaded with, uh, you know, the, the horrible cannonballs. And ready mounted are they to spit forth their iron indignation against your walls. All preparation for a bloody siege and merciless proceeded by these French confront your city's eyes, your winking gates. But for our approach, those sleeping stones that as a waste doth girdle you about by the compulsion of their ordinance by this time from their fixed beds of lime, so their the walls are solid, they're made out of cement, had been disabited and have and white havoc made for bloody power to rush upon your peace. So so Andrews was you know, it was a peaceful little town and they were well secured, they were safe, they had a great wall, it was very strong. And now King John is telling them well, there's trouble here now, and you better listen. He says, But on the side of us, your lawful king, who painfully with much expedient march have brought a countercheck before your gates to save unscratched your city's threatened cheeks. Behold, the French amazed Valchafe of Parley, and now instead of bullets wrapped in fire to make a shaking fever in your walls, they shoot but calm words folded up in smoke to make a faithless error in your ears, which trust accordingly, kind citizens, and let us in, your king, whose labored spirits, for wearied in this action of swift speed, graves harborage within your city walls. So so King John is saying, look, you admit I'm your king? Bring me into your walls. And bring me inside. And... uh it goes on now to King Philip. He says, When I have said, Make answer to us both, lo, in this right hand, whose protection is most divinely vowed upon the right of him it holds, stands young Plantagenet. So King Philip is still, he's kind of like uh, being a spiritual guru here, and he's saying, Look, God is behind me. That's why I'm here. God brought me here. I want you to listen to me. Uh, be careful of this young Plantagenet. So that's what he's saying. He said he's son to the elder brother of this man. And so so what, what he means by this man, he means by the young boy, Arthur. He said he is son to the elder brother of this man. And so, so he's talking about Arthur. And king over him and all that he enjoys for this downtrodden equity we tread and so, so the King Philip is really trying to make it look bad that Arthur is just downtrodden. The poor kid is being denied his rights. Um, you know, you can just hear this in a court of law <laughs> with, with uh, some of the things that are going on with Donald Trump. And uh, by the way, he did, uh, he did have a great victory uh, this week. And so uh, uh, I think there are a lot of, a lot of people that don't want to say too much, but there are a lot of people in this country who are quietly excited that uh, things are going to change. He says, uh, and uh, for this downtrodden equity we tread, 
In warlike march, these greens before your town, being no further enemy to you. So, so essentially, essentially, King Philip is saying, look, don't listen to John. We have our cannons. They're not, we're not going to put them against you. That's not going to happen. You know, King Philip came to fight with John. You know, that's what's really going on. He says, uh, being no further enemy to you, that the constraint of hospital zeal and the relief of this oppressed child religiously provokes. Be pleased then to pay the duty which you truly owe to him that owes it, namely this young prince. So, so he's really, really making a case that Arthur needs to be brought inside the gates and he is their king. And then our arms like to a muzzled beat, save an aspect hath all offense sealed up. Our cannons malice vainly shall be spent against the invulnerable clouds of heaven. So he said, no, you don't have to worry about our cannons. We're going to shoot them to the sky. They'll be, they'll be putting holes in the clouds. And with the blessed and unvexed retire, with unhacked swords and helmets all unbruised, we will bear home that lusty blood again, which here we came to spout against your town and leave your children, wives, and you in peace. So, so he's saying, look, the, the, the decision is in your hands, Adjirs. You know, there, there could be a war. We don't want there to be the war. We'll just blow our cannons off to the clouds. He said, but if you finally pass our proffered offer to not this root around your of your old-faced walls can hide you from our messengers of war. And he's talking about the cannonballs. So he's, he's now he's coming. He's not such a nice guy. He said, okay, if you don't give me what I want, then I guess, sorry, we're going to hit the walls. We're going we're gonna to send the messengers of war, the cannonballs, right through your gates. Though all these English and their discipline were harbored in their rude circumference, then tell us, shall your city call us Lord in that behalf which we have challenged it, or shall we give the signal to our rage and stock in blood to our possession? And then the citizen, I guess he's up on the top of the wall, he locks down, looks down everything, he says, in brief, we are the king of England's subjects. For him and in his right we hold this town. So here, the, the citizens of Angiers know that they're the subjects of King John. And so, so what Philip is trying to do, in, in really in their mind, is superfluous. King John is, is our king. But notice this. This is a twist, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time, but I don't think it's going to hurt you to have it repeated. It says, Acknowledge then the king and let me in. So King John says to the citizen, Well, if I'm king... And you're saying uh, that that uh, you're my subjects. Let me in. And the citizen comes back and says, "That that can we not? But he that proves the king, to him we will prove loyal. Till that time have we rammed up our gates against the world." So so this is something I think that that Philip and John did not anticipate. And they're saying is, look. We want to use war. We want you and and Philip to go ahead and go to war. And then what we want to see is the winner is the true king. That's what they're saying. The winner of that war is the true king. And, uh, um, you know, that was, you know, as I said 
couple of pages ago, that is a big problem. <laughs> you know, uh, here, John doesn't necessarily want to go to war. Philip does seem more interested in it. But the citizens say, okay, you want us to decide? Here's the game plan. Whoever wins the war gets the, gets the crown. So King John says, Doth not the crown of England prove the king? And if not that, I bring you white uh, witness. Twice 15,000 hearts of England breed. And, um, you know, so that's, that's the number of soldiers that he has with him. And then, of course, Sir Richard stands up and he says, yeah, and bastards too. <laughs> They've got all these hearts of England. And then King John says, to verify our title with their lives, Philip comes back and says, as many as well-born bloods as those. And so, so look, he said, hey, you got, you got blue-blooded Phil, uh, Englanders, we have blue-blooded French. And then, then also, Sir Richard also says, and after King Philip, yeah, some, some bastards too. So, so there's some bastards in France as well. So get your noses out of the air is essentially what, what, uh, Sir Richard is saying. So, so Philip then comes back and says, stand in his face to contradict his claim. And then the citizen says, till you compound whose right is worthiest for we, we for the furthest hold the right from both. And so, so essentially, even if Arthur is the king, he said, the citizen is saying, even if John is the king, we want to see who the worthiest is, and that will beget the crown. That, as far as we're concerned, that will be the king. Then King John comes back and says, then God forgive the sins of all those souls that to their everlasting residence before the dew of evening fall shall fleet in dreadful trial of our kingdom's king. So John John comes out really pretty clearly and says, Wow, you better have you know, better get some priests out here. These people are gonna to need to confess <laughs> before they go into war because uh they're gonna die and they're gonna go on to their everlasting residence and hopefully their you know, their uh, sins are all forgiven. And then King Philips then says, Amen, amen, Mont Chevaliers to arms. So so the king isn't worried about his his troops. John has a little more, uh, let's say, empathy for them. And then Sir Richard now comes on the scene. And uh, again, he's listed in here as the bastard. But I want you to remember, this is a, this is not a real figure in history. This is something that, that Shakespeare made up. And Shakespeare is really very talented in the way he can do things. And like John Falstaff is also a fake. You know, although he's 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 actually there was an a, another man at that time that was uh, he's molded after so there is maybe some history there, but uh, Sir Richard says Saint George that swinged the dragon and heir since sits on horseback at mine hostess door, teach us some fence, and then he looks at the the Duke of Austria who's there he says Sirrah were I at home. At your den, Sirrah, with your lioness, I would set an ox head to your lion's hide and make a monster of you. So Sir Richard is now picking on the Duke of Austria and saying, yeah, if uh, if I were back at your castle, I'd 
cut the lion's head off the statue, and I'd put a monster of you. I'd put your head on it, <laughs> head on the lion. So then Austria, he has to make a comment, peace, no more. And he said, look, peace, let's have peace. And then Sir Richard says, oh, tremble, for you hear the lion roar. And so so that's a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of a tift going on between the the Duke of Austria and Sir Richard. Now, remember, Sir Richard uh, is related to Richard the Lionheart. He's the illegitimate son. And um, we know that it was the Viscount of Austria that sought to have Richard the Lionheart shot with an arrow, and then he got uh, really sick from the wound and died. So so Sir Richard is just picking on Austria saying, Look, for you hear the lion roar. And so so he in some ways he's saying, Okay, Richard the Lionheart isn't here, but his brother is. So listen to the lion to roar. So King John then says, Up higher to the plain where we will set forth in best appointments all our regiments. So so they're they're gonna go to war. They're just gonna say, Okay, let's have this out. Um, what the uh, what Sir Richard then says, speed then to take advantage of the field. So so uh, you know they're they're awfully obviously very anxious to get to war, and then King Philip says it shall be so. And at the other hill, command the rest to stand, God and our right. So so the 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 uh, King Philip is really you know on his high horse, and uh, he said, look, God's behind me. Uh, we're not have to worry about this too much. We'll just take we'll take the other stand, and then uh, there's a little bit of a, a, a edit there. It says hereafter excursions under the herald of France with trumpets to the gates. So so essentially what what Shakespeare does he doesn't take us into the battle. You know it's it's in the in in some of the other plays when you get into Henry V the battle is part of the play, and you see you know the, the actors or the the uh, characters fight each other in the play but we don't see the battle and essentially um what what happens is now in this this scene is the heralds there's an english herald and a french herald they come back to the walls they're talking to the angiers people and they're telling them who the worthiest is and remember now, this is all happening long distance from the the uh, the walls of Angiers, and uh, they may not see it the way that these heralds are going to see it. So the French herald comes back. Uh, he says, uh, "You men of Angiers, open wide your gates and let young Arthur, Duke of Britain, in, who by the hand of Francis they hath made much work for tears and many an English mother." So he's saying, "Hey, now remember, Arthur is a young boy. He's like ten. And remember, people are all fighting over him. He's crying his eyes out because everybody's crying about him. So I can't imagine a young boy of maybe 10, you know, destroying the uh, soldiers of England. You just can't see it. So it's it's all fake, just like a lot of things in the government today. It's all fake and uh, fake news. Much work for tears of many an English mother, whose sons lie scattered on the bleeding ground. Many a widow's husband groveling lies, coldly embracing the discolored earth. So he's talking about, I mean, that's those are two really colorful lines that Shakespeare writes about dead bodies. 
sense. He says, many a widow's husband groveling lies. Um, you know, if you've ever heard anything, um, we're, we're doing uh, Winston Churchill's book, you know, on the on JBL. And, um, you know, they were up conquering some of the Indian tribes in India. And um, there's some scenes that he describes are really pretty gruesome. When some of the soldiers get hit, they know they're dying and they're just out in the field kicking their feet in the air. The pains are so bad. And so so uh, he said there he's giving, I think, the same lines, but in a very kind of a beautiful and poetic way. Many a window's hu- widow's husband's groveling in lies, coldly embracing the discolored earth. So so they're, they're crawling, they're, they're uh, fighting their pain, they're bleeding into the, into the earth. And uh, he goes on to say, in victory with little loss doth play upon the dancing banners of the French. And so he's saying, hey, the England suffer- England, the English suffered, we didn't. We're fine. France is fine. And he said, we are at hand triumphantly displayed to encounter conquerors and to proclaim Arthur of Bretagne, king, England's king, and yours. And so, so uh, Shakespeare's giving uh, time to both sides. Now the English herald comes up and says, Rejoice, you men of Angers, ring your bells. King John, your king in England, doth approach. Commander of this hot, malicious day, their armors that march hence so silver bright, hither return all guilt with Frenchmen's blood. So now the, the English herald is saying, Hey, the English, we were so successful. We've got blood. We've got French blood on our armor. And, uh, you know, we're the winners. He says, there's stuck no plume in any English crest that is removed by a staff of France. Our colors do return in those same hands that did display them when we first marked forth. And like a jolly troop of huntsmen come our lusty English, all with purpled hands, died in the dying slaughter of their foes. Open your gates and give us, give the victors way. Now, Hubert, who is uh, one of the citizens of Angiers, he says, Heralds, from off our tires, we might behold from first to last the onset and retire of both your armies, whose equality by our best eyes cannot be censured. Blood hath brought blood, and blows have answered blows. Strength matched with strength, and power confronted power. Both are alike, and both alike we like. <laughs> so he's saying, look, you guys, we, we watched from the the walls. It was it was an equal fight. You guys were fighting each other. You got the you know the French have English blood on them. The 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 English have French blood on them. And he says, by our best eyes cannot be censured. Blood hath bought blood, and blows have answered blows. Strength matched with strength, and power confronted power. Both are alike, and both alike we like. One must prove greatest. While they weigh so even, we hold our town for neither, yet for both. So so he said, look, one has got to prove themselves greater yet. And he said, so they're just going to hold on, and uh, they're going to, to uh, talk to the king. So King John comes up and says, France, have you yet more blood to cast away? Say, shall the current of our right run on, whose passage vexed with thy impediment? shall leave his native channel and overswell. 
with course disturbed even the confining shores unless thou let his silver water keep a peaceful progress to the ocean. So, so King John is, is laying down some, uh, some, you know, I guess he's just really being honest. He said, look, you know, you, you've got to, you, you've got to give in to us. He said, uh, remember that they can cross the channel pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, uh, if you, uh, if you do things right, things will be peaceful. But if you don't, it, it could not be good for you. Then King Philip says, uh, England, thou hast not saved one drop of blood in this hot trial more than we of France. Rather, lost more, and by this hand I swear that sways the earth as climate overlooks. Before we lay down our just-born arms, we'll put thee down against the whom these arms we bear, or add a royal number to the dead, gracing the scrolls that tells of this war's loss, with slaughter coupled to the name of kings. And so, so, so the point is, neither one are going to back down. Now, Sir Richard comes in and says, How majesty, how high thy glory towers, when the rich blood of kings is set on fire. O oh, now doth death line his dread chaps with steel, the swords of soldiers are his teeth, his fangs, and now he feasts, mousing the flesh of men, and undermined differences of kings. Why stand these royal fronts amazed thus? Cry havoc, kings, back to the strained field. You equal potents, fiery kindled spirits, then let confusion of one part confirm the other's peace, till then blows blood and death. And so, so here, again, this is Sir Richard, the illegitimate son of, of uh, Richard the Lionheart. He's, he's got some, some wisdom there. And then he's just saying, look, there's confusion by what you're both saying. Um, you know, let's, let's finish this. King John then says, whose party do the townsmen yet admit? King Philem says, speak, citizens, for England, who's your king? Hubert, the king of England, when we, we know the king, King Philip, know him in us, and that, that here hold up his right. And so King John says, in us that our own great deputy and bear possession of your person here, Lord of presence and jeers and of you. And Hubert says, a greater power than we denies all this, until it be undoubted we do lock our former scruple in our strong barred gates. King of our fear until our fear is resolved by some certain king purged and deposed. So the two kings are still there. And they're saying, no. If, if one was the worthiest, there'd just be one king. But there's still two kings. And, uh, you know, so, so this is Hubert. Um, he just kind of pops up, but he's the citizen of Angiers. But it is interesting here that then, Sir Richard uh, comes on, and again, if you notice that the genius of Shakespeare, it's it's Sir Richard or the illegitimate that has the the wisest things to say. He's saying, "By heaven, these squirrels of Angiers flout you, kings." And he's saying, "Do you get it? These people are playing with you guys. You're both kings." And he said, "And stand securely on their battlements." as in a theater when they gape and point at your industrious scenes and acts of death. 
So, so it's it's like he's saying, do you guys get it? It's like they're, they're acting like they're in the middle of the war and you guys are out bleeding to death. They're just standing on their 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 uh, you know their their wall. Your royal presences be ruled by me. Do like the mutinies of Jerusalem. Be friends a while, and both conjointly bend your sharpest deeds of malice on this town. By east and west, let France and England mount their battering cannon charge to the mouse, till their soul-fearing clamors have brawled down the flinty ribs of this contemptuous city. I'd play incessantly upon these jades, even till unfenced desolation, leave them as naked as the vulgar air. That done, dissever your united strengths and part your mingled colors once again. So, so, so Richard is saying, why don't you beat the daylights out of these people? You're the kings. They're bossing you around. You know, what, you know, why are you allowing that? He goes on to say, turn face to face and bloody point to point. Then in a moment, fortune shall call forth out of one side her happy minion, to whom in favor she shall give the day and kiss him with a glorious victory. How like you this wild council mighty states, smacks it not something of the policy. So then King John says, Now by the sky that hangs above our heads, I like it well. France, shall we knit our powers and lay this Angiers even with the ground? And then after the fight, who shall be king of it? <laughs> so, so King John says, hey, this may not be such a bad idea. And then uh, Sir Richard comes back in. And he says, if thou hast the medal of a king, being wronged as we are by this peevish town, then turn the mouth of thy artillery as we will ours against these saucy walls. And when that we have dashed them to the ground, why then defy each other and pell-mell? Make work upon ourselves for heaven or hell. So, so that Sir Richard's saying, well, if we if we knock all them down, knock the city down, take it over, let's not go after each other. <laughs> we'll find a way to figure this out. So King Philip says, let it be so. Say, where will you assault? And King John says, we from the west will send destruction into the city's bosom. And Austria says, I from the north. So, so there... Now, it might be a little bit confusing. I didn't know that the Duke of Austria had an army with him. But this kind of indicates that maybe he does. And so so uh, this would be the Holy Roman Empire involved in this battle. So that would be interesting. But King Philip says, Our thunder from the south shall rain their drift of bullets on this town. And so, so uh, King Philip, John is going to be um west uh, austria is going to come from the north and it looks like uh, king philip is going to come from the south and then now the sir richard talks to uh, he goes aside uh and what that word aside there means that he's talking just to the audience and so sir richard is now talking to to dan and i <laughs> We're the only audience today. <laughs> he says, O oh, prudent discipline from north to south, Austria and France, shoot in each other's mouth. I'll stir them to it. Come away, away. So now, now look what's going to happen is, um, uh, Sir Richard has really done an, an, an interesting thing. He's going to make sure that there's a winner to this. But let me read that again. O oh, prudent discipline from north to south, 
Austria and France are going to shoot each other's mouth. And so, so Austria and France are going to fall out because <laughs> they're going to be, if you look at the, you know, north and south, and then there's, uh, you know, them, they're facing each other. And so when, when the war comes or when they get to war, they're going to be killing each other. You know, so then Hubert says, Hear us, great kings, vouchsafe for a while to stay, and I shall show you peace and fair-faced league. Win you the city without stroke or wound. Rescue those breathing lives to die in beds. That here come sacrifices for the field. Preserve or not, but hear me, mighty kings. And then uh, John says, Go ahead, speak on my favor. We, we're bent to hear. And now, now all of a sudden, this, the citizens have a different plan. And he said, the daughter here of Spain, the Lady Blanche, and and uh, remember, she's there as well. I've, I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning. Is near to England. Look upon the years of Louis the Dauphin and that lovely maid. If lusty love should go in quest of beauty, where should he find it fairer than in Blanche? So, so the citizens say, okay, we might be able to solve this. You know, just uh, have Mary, have have Lady Blanche. Mary the Dauphin. And I guess she was very beautiful. Remember, her mother was Eleanor of Aquitaine. And so so I'm sure she would have been a very beautiful young woman. He says, Where should he find it fairer than in Blanche? If zealous love go love should go in search of virtue, where should he find it purer than in Blanche? If love ambitious sought a match of birth, whose veins bound richer blood than Lady Blanche? Such as she is in beauty, virtue, birth, is the young Dauphin every way complete. If not complete of say, he is not she. And she again wants nothing to name want. If wanted to be, not that she is not he. He is the half part of a blessed man left to be finished by such as she. And she as fair divided excellence whose fullness of perfection lies in him Oh, two such silver currents when they join to glorify the banks that bound them in, and two such shores to such streams made one, to such controlling bounds shall you be kings. To these two princes, if you marry them, this union shall do more than battery can to our fast-closed gates, for at this match, with swifter spleen and powder cannon force, the mouth of passage shall we fling wide ope and give you entrance, but without this match, the sea enraged is not half so deaf. Lions more confident, mountains and rocks, more free from motion, no, not death himself, in mortal fury half so peremptory as we to keep this city. And so, so here, Hubert, the citizen, says, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to let Lady Blanche marry the Dauphin, and they're going to come in to the city, and it's going to be beautiful. And so, so uh, Sir Richard then said, "Here's a stay that shakes the rotten carcass of old death out of his rags. Here's a large mouth indeed that spits forth death in mountains, rocks, and seas, talks as familiar familiarly of roaring lions as maids of thirteen do of puppy dogs." <laughs> so. So Sir Richard, he's got always got to comment to come back. Hey, you know, whoever's speaking this is just a puppy dog. 
What cannoner begot this lusty blood? He speaks plain cannon fire and smoke and bounce. He gives the bastinado with his tongue. Our ears are cudgeled. Not a word of his, but Buffett's better than a fist of France. Um, he says, I was never so bethumped with words since I first called my brother's father dad. And so uh, he's talking about... Uh, well, I don't know. I think he might be talking about Richard of Lionheart. Eleanor, she steps in. Son, listen to this conjunction. Make this match. Give with our niece a dowry large enough, for by this knot thou shalt surely tie thy now unsured assurance to the crown that yon green boy shall have no son to ripe, the bloom that promised a mighty fruit. I am yielding in the look of France. Mark how they whisper, urge them with their souls, are capable of this ambition. Let seal, now melted by the windy breath of soft petitions, pity and remorse, cool and congeal again to what it was. So so here's Eleanor stepping in, and she's going after John to say, Look, let this let this happen. You know, she she's uh she's probably really a little more astute with politics than her son is. And he, he says, uh, she goes, now that yon green boy shall have no son to ripe that bloom that promised a mighty fruit, I see a yielding in the looks of France. So she's she's playing politics. She says, well, it looks like the king of France is involved in this and for it as well. So why answer not the double majesties this friendly treaty of our threatened town? That's Hubert. And then King Philip says, speaking at first, that hath been forward first to speak unto the city, what say you? King John then says, If that the dauphin there, thy princely son, can in this book of beauty read, I'd love, her dowry shall weigh equal with a queen for Angers and fair Touraine, Maine, Poitiers, and all that we upon this side the sea, except this city now by us besieged, find liable to our crown and dignity, shall gild her bridal bed and make her rich in titles, honors, and promotions, as she in beauty, education, blood, holds hand with any princess of the world. Princess of the world. King Philip says, What sayest thou, boy? Look in thy lady's face. Louis says, I do, my lord, and in her eye find a wonder of wondrous miracle. The shadow of myself formed in her eye, which being but the shadow of your son becomes a son and makes your son a shadow. I do protest I never loved myself till now and fixed I beheld myself drawn in the flattering table of her eye. And so so uh, he whispers this with Blanche. So this is very romantic right now. So now Sir Richard comes back and says, Dawn in the flattering table of her eye, hanged in the frowning wrinkle of her brow, and quartered in her heart, he doth espy himself love's traitor. This is pity now, that hanged and drawn and quartered there should be in such a love, so vow aloud is he. <laughs> so so see Richard, Sir Richard sees it all different. <laughs> he said, he's aloud. He's vile. And then Blanche says, my uncle's will in this respect is mine. So Blanche's uncle, I think if I'm correct here, and I'll have to, I'll have to uh, look this up again, but I'm pretty sure that Blanche's uncle is is King John. And so um, 
that anything he sees which moves his liking, I can with ease translate it to my will. Oh, if you will, to speak more properly, I will enforce it easily to my love. So Blanche is saying, this is a political move. I understand it. I, I can fit into this. I can love him. She says, further, I will not flatter you, my lord, that all I see in you is worthy love than this, that nothing do I see in you, though churlish thoughts themselves should be your judge that I can find should merit any hate. So then King John comes on and says, What say these young ones? What say you, my niece? And Blanche says that she is bound in honor still to do what you in wisdom still vouchsafe to say. So she's, she's submitting to her uncle, King John. Uh, she's a good girl that way. John says, Speak then, Prince Dauphin. Can you love this lady? And Louis says, Nay, ask me if I can refrain from love for I do love her most unfeignedly. So he's saying, no, I do love her. He said, just just uh, uh, ask me if I can refrain from love. And he's saying, no, I can't. King John says, then do I give Volquesson, Touraine, Maine, Poitiers, and Anjou, these five provinces, with her to thee, and this addition more for full 30,000 marks of English coin, Philip of France, if thou be pleased with all, command thy son and daughter to join hands. And so, so uh, he's saying, okay, this is this is the deal. It's going to go down. Uh, he's going to re, re, uh, release some of his t- territories in France, and they're going to go to his niece and his son. King Philip says, says it likes us well. Young princes, close your hands. So when they say young princes, he's a prince, she's a princess. Then Austria says, and your lips too, for I am well assured that I did so when I was first assured. So then Austria has to get his two points in there, his two lips in there. King Philip says, now citizens of Angiers, ope your gates. Let in the amity which you have made, for at St. Mary's Chapel presently the rites of marriage shall be solemnized. Is not the Lady Constance in this troop? I know she is not, for this match made up, her presence would have interrupted much. Where is she and her son? Tell me, who knows? Lewis said, she is sad and passionate, your highness tent. So, so guess who lost out? Constance and Arthur. He's, he's not going to be made king. Lewis says, she is sad and passionate at your highness's tent. And Philip, by my faith, this league that we have made will give her sadness very little cure. Brother of England, how may we content this widow lady in her right we came, which we, God knows, have turned another way to our own advantage? King John then says, We will heal up all, for we will create young Arthur, Duke of Bretagne, and Earl of Richmond, and this rich fair town will we make him lord of all. Call the lady Constance, some speedy messenger bid her repair to our solemnity. I trust we shall, if not fill up the measure of her will, yet in some measure satisfy her so that we can stop her exclamation. Go, we will, as haste would suffer us, to this unlooked-for, unprepared pomp. So, that's pretty, that happens pretty fast. 
I mean, they didn't have time to date, <laughs> you know. But I guess that's the way they did it then. Now here comes so Richard, and uh, again, who has the most sense? It's Richard. He says, "Mad world, mad kings, mad composition." <laughs> so Sir Richard says, "This is not going to go well. Something is going to happen here." And uh, uh, here they got these two young people to marry so that you know they can keep their land. And uh, he said, "John, to stop Arthur's title in the whole, hath willingly departed with a part." So, so uh, it's it's. Uh, Sir Richard is warning him, John, you gave up part of your lands. And we know that's what happened to him. He, he lost his lands. And, and here uh, Shakespeare's you know, writing this all up for us. And uh, I, I like that. It's a mad world, mad kings, mad composition. One of the things that I, I'm going to just uh, come back to this again a little bit. One thing I want to say is that I did... Um, I did learn something very interesting. Um, it's not necessarily related to the play, but it is related to uh, Abraham Lincoln, and it's related to this play. During one of the worst battles of the Civil War, um, Lincoln had to send out one of his adjuncts, and um, uh, but he stayed behind, and he was studying. And one of the one of the other uh, leaders saw it, and he said, "What what's going on? What are you studying?" And uh, he was reading the life and death of King John, and he believed that it applied to his situation in the Civil War. And so, that's all the time I have for today. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. So next time we'll continue with this play, but I'm also going to talk to you about Abraham Lincoln and why he thought this was the most important play for him. So, please write me any comments that you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment on my Twitter page and that is titled Shakespeare's Royal Education. So, you'll be able to find a good used copy of King John at abebooks.com. They do a great job. And thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.